part of the onus, of course, is on women to learn to insist that we're valued fairly. But the other side is that, you know, men who are in positions of power, using their power to step up to the table and make it right across the board, regardless of color, regardless of gender. Hi, I'm Claire Wasserman, and you're listening to Lady Talk, a podcast from Ladies Get Paid. We provide education and support to help women level up their careers. We host workshops, webinars, and events. We also have an online network where thousands of women from all around the world come together to share advice, resources, job opportunities, and more. It's free to join, so check us out at ladiesgetpaid.com. Hi, everyone. Claire Wasserman here, founder of Ladies Get Paid. You are listening to Lady Talk. Um, I am here today with a very special guest. Her name is Jennifer Sutherland Miller. She has lots of things she's going to tell you about in regards to what she does. Um, but the reason that I'm having her on here today is because she is part of a really awesome company um, called Tortuga, uh, and they make um, different kinds of products that help folks travel uh, easier, lighter, um, especially for those of you looking for travel backpacks. They make a really rad product, um, or actually a series of products, and they contributed to our crowdfunding campaign. Um, so if you don't remember our crowdfunding campaign or you didn't know about it, um, you can go check it out. It's ladiesgetsued.com. That's right. I'm not saying paid. I'm saying sued. Long story short, we were sued by members of a men's rights group uh, who accused us of gender discrimination. Whoa. Crazy, crazy story. We actually recorded a couple of podcast episodes dedicated to the lawsuit um, because outside of the fact that it was happening to me, it was actually just a really interesting case. But what it ended up doing is it really, you know, it crippled us financially. And so we were put in a situation where you know, we had to crowdfund. We had to go to the public, to our community, and say to them, listen, guys, if we can't raise this money from you, we can't stay in business. And the response was amazing. Um, three weeks after announcing that we needed to raise the money, we raised $115,000 from almost 2,000 people. Um, so it was this just whirlwind of an experience. I learned a lot about myself, about the community. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because Tortuga actually donated. Um, we received a very generous contribution to them. And it was really cool for us to see the kind of product that they have. Um, just because uh, I'm somebody who has lived abroad um, and moved around quite a bit, uh, there was a time where I actually uh, decided to give up my apartment in New York. And I lived on different couches every month. Um, so I got to try out different neighborhoods for about six or eight months. Um, so that was my experience of kind of putting all of my life into one bag. Uh, so they, you know, this company had a special place in my heart, but also for our community, you know, I get a lot of questions from our members uh, about how they can make the case to their companies um, about, you know, can you move out of your state? You know, could you go abroad? Can you do your work? You know, what does it look like to not be in the office um, and have accountability and transparency and solid communication with your team? Um, so Jen, just so you know, um, we spoke earlier in this episode to Fred, um, mm -hmm. Fred Parada, who is the one of the founders of Tortuga. And so I spoke to him about what it's like to create a company culture when there aren't people uh, in a space together, uh, <laughs> and and also about his um, his view from from the top of thinking about salary compensation. Um, and, and salary transparency. And of course, this conversation came from a survey that you guys did discovering that there is a gender wage gap amongst digital nomads. 
Um, so first, I'd love you to just introduce yourself. Uh, tell me about what you do and um, maybe how you came to Tortuga. I know it's a long story, so um, <laughs> feel free to talk as long as you want. We're all ears. <laughs> okay. Um, well, as you said, my name is Jen, and I worked with Tortuga for about four years now. I was one of their very first hires. Fred and I met at a an unconference that a friend of ours facilitates, and at that point, he was looking to to build a bit of a team. And we got talking about you know how he might do that, and he was looking for an editor and someone to work on content. And long story short, I ended up um, taking the position, and it's been a lot of fun since then to to watch the team grow. We went through a major rebrand last year. We've completely overhauled the products, um, and Tortuga has grown into a, a family of sorts as well as as well as a job. And what I do for them is content marketing. I manage the team of writers that produce all of our customer-facing content on the, the publications, um, as well as working closely with Taylor, who, who does our marketing. And about two years ago, I guess, we got really interested in um, digital nomads, both as a community and potentially as, as an underserved market, because the, the needs that digital nomads have moving around and working with their office going everywhere with them are pretty unique. They weren't being served at all by the luggage that was available on the market. And so in, in order to begin to think about the ways in which we might serve them, we, we did a survey um, that we had 4,887 people respond to which was very cool. We were really excited by the number of people that wanted to share their experience and their voices. Um, but then in the reported sample, we've whittled that down to about 2,500 people who we have talked to about all kinds of things from you know where they live, how long they have been digital nomads, how often they move around, uh, what kind of money they make, what sort of jobs they do that allow them to work the way they work. And of course, we also asked in the process of that whether they were male or female. So this this survey was not, um, our thought was not to measure the gender wage gap specifically. It was just to gather a lot more data about digital nomads in general. But one of the things that we discovered when we started parsing through that data was that was the wage gap was a thing. And I, of all people, was really surprised by that because um, my own personal experience and my assumptions led me to think that the digital nomad community had had ameliorated that, that there wasn't a wage gap or that we would find a very insignificant one that could be explained away by the type of job someone was doing or the number of hours they were working. Uh, and when Taylor and I started to work through the data and really unpack that, uh, we got upset. <laughs> we, we spent a couple of weeks really angry and the guys on the team were amazing because it was kind of a tough room for a while while she and I just cussed our way through that data. Um, yeah, it's, so it was a surprise to discover that the wage gap is alive and well, even among digital nomads who are, by and large, uh, independently employed, in control of the contracts that they take, in control of the amount that they charge. Um, but there are a lot of other factors, as, as most of us know, if we've studied it at all, that are at play in why women are paid less than men. Just one thing I wanted to mention off of you being in the room uh, with the guys and just getting so angry about it. Listen, I quit my job because I discovered wow. these things. I mean, obviously, there were a series of, you know, various experiences I had that led up to me wanting to create something like Ladies Get Paid. But it was really yeah. data. It was seeing those, you know, cold, hard numbers of, for me, particularly the, the Hispanic women that make 55 cents to the dollar. And well, this is it. It's not just a gender wage gap, is it? It's then a, a color gradient wage gap after that. Right. And it's not even close to close. 
you know, and, and you can't justify it. And for any wage gap deniers out there, you know, there's many things that I would like to say to them. But when you look at data where it says Hispanic women are making 55 cents to the dollar, um, it's, it's difficult to wrap your brain around. Um, and I always say, you know, I didn't want to create ladies get paid. I had to create it. Um, and that I'm, effectively trying to put myself out of business in doing what I do. (laughs) Yeah. I had a heated discussion just two nights ago over dinner with a a man that I encountered in a business environment who who was absolutely a denier of this. And, you know, I I pointed him to the department of labor, like they're the ones that collect the statistics. This isn't something that is a conspiracy theory. It's well-documented and not particularly improving. Um, Just a few of the, the percentage statistics that we, collected specific to digital nomads is that 52% of women digital nomads are making less than $3,000 a month, while 31% of male digital nomads fall into the same bracket. And at the other end of the scale, 23% of female digital nomads earn more than $5,000 a month, while 43% of males do. So that's a really big gap. Nearly twice as many men are in the top earnings tier, and there are over 20% fewer men at the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Do you know what they do? We do know what they do. Yeah. And this was something that, um, we, that we are breaking out in some subsequent articles that we're writing. I just did one on, um, the idea that the four hour work week is a myth. And we broke that down by whether they were freelancers, whether they were employees or whether they were entrepreneurs, um, because that, that makes a big difference. But if you look at the, um, the link to the, actual article that we wrote about halfway down, people will be able to see a graph that's digital nomad roles, men versus women, but broken out between customer support, design, development, executive management, and marketing. Um, and that's really interesting. Like who does what, and then the income for those, for those brackets. And, you know, it, it gets a bit, it gets a bit heavy and, and the numbers all run together. If you, you know, just, I don't know how useful it is to spout a bunch of of numbers and statistics uh, on a podcast, but I really do encourage people to go and look carefully at those, um, the graphs and the actual demographic, because we parsed it out for a lot of things. It wasn't, you know, we we took into account the number of hours that you're working per week, um, because we thought that hours work does correlate with income, of course, but when you isolate that, it doesn't get rid of the wage gap. Um, It just doesn't. And so as angry as Taylor and I got about this, and as we came to discover that there were a lot of reasons for it, and it wasn't just, you know, the, uh, the House of Cards style guy in HR who decides that the girl doesn't get paid as much. I mean, I don't think that that's a real thing. But what are the factors and, you know, and what are the, the paths forward? Um, I don't know. Do you know uh, Vivian Egan from the Nomad and Spice podcast? I do not. No, I'm going to Google her right now. So she, um, she did a podcast on how we make money some time ago that was really interesting. And, and I quoted her in the, in the article as well. And, you know, she was talking about why this happens. And one of the observations that, she, that they came to was that women don't push like men do. You know, they don't ask at the same rates. They don't negotiate as well. They don't revisit their contracts as regularly. Um, and in general, they tend to undervalue uh, their contribution monetarily in an organization. So, you know, I asked Fred about that because, of course, you know, Tortuga, we don't, we don't have 
that culture, everyone is paid fairly. Um, and there, there's not a wage gap. And it's one of the things that is really important. And one of the things that I really appreciate in the male culture of our team is that they are all solid feminists and are committed to fixing this, not just for our organization, but setting a standard for others. Um, and so that, you know, I'm, I'm sure Fred's already spoken for himself earlier in the hour, um, on that front, but you know, the, Part of the onus, of course, is on women to gain these skills, to learn to do better, to learn to insist uh, that we're valued fairly, to know our value and bring that to the table. But the other side is that, you know, men who are in positions of power who have started their own organization, like Fred and Jeremy have, uh, I really appreciate when you see those guys using their power to step up to the table and make it right across the board, regardless of color, regardless of gender. Um, And, you know, while Taylor and I ranted for two weeks the guys just sort of held the space for that, you know, they, they didn't minimize it. You know, there was, there was just none of that dynamic. They, they were great. And I really appreciate that. I think that that's what needs to happen. And, you know, I have three sons who I've raised a little bit untraditionally and, um, we insist on, on that kind of responsibility and, and use of and possession of their power as well. And, and I think, you know, the two things women valuing ourselves, better in you know, more realistically and men creating space for that for that equity to rise are two of the things that we need to be creating within company cultures but also community cultures absolutely um, so you you hinted a little bit at the untraditional part of your life I've done a bit of digging into your past you have a fascinating uh-huh. story um, <laughs> so let's maybe just start with your story from a money angle since that's related to what we're talking about here. So I know you spent many years, uh, or maybe you still are, uh, on the road. Um, How did you make money? It's a big question. (laughs) Well, when we started off traveling, um, it was in 2008, and we have four children. They were five, seven, nine, and 11 at that time. And we thought we would take a a family gap year and ride our bicycles from London, England to Africa and back, uh, which we did. That took us a year. Um, but because that was 2008 into 2009, that was also the year that the markets crashed. So we woke up on the highest sea cliff on the Adriatic coast of Italy one morning and quite literally had nothing in our bank accounts <laughs> because all of our stocks were underwater. And, you know, like everyone else, uh, we lost a fair bit in that crash. Uh, in retrospect, at the time, it felt pretty terrible to have four little kids, have sold our house, have sold all of our stuff, have quit our jobs and saved to take this trip and wake up and find that we didn't have any of the things we thought we had. That felt bad. But in retrospect, it was one of the best things that happened to us because it forced us to reevaluate what we were doing, what we wanted to be doing. Uh, what could be done differently and what our options really were. And, you know, we could have gone back. My husband had worked for Apple previously. We could have gone back to the States and he could have picked that job back up at any point within two years. Um, and they would have been happy to have, have him, but it would meant moving to California, which nobody really wanted to do. So instead we went to North Africa where we could live, uh, inexpensively. We spent the winter in Tunisia and we just put our heads down and started figuring out what it was that we could do differently. And it was at that point that, we recreated our careers and I got into travel writing to begin with. And then it's, you know, slowly but surely has, has morphed into content management and marketing for, um, for soft goods and, and some other companies too. So it, it wasn't any one thing that was like, oh yes, I'm going to look for a job with a company that allows this because in 2008, 2009, pretty much no big companies allowed you to live and work anywhere you wanted. You might got, you might've gotten to work from home for a few days a week, but there was no like gallivanting off to the other side of the world with your laptop and calling it good. Um, and 
so we started there and it sounds very romantic to say that, you know, 10 years on, we make more money than we ever did in real jobs and we only work, you know, about 30 hours a week and we've had lots of time with our kids and we've traveled all over the world in that time. You know, that sounds great. But the reality, of course, was a lot more stressful than that. There are a lot of ups and downs when you take responsibility for your own income streams instead of putting all of your eggs in a corporate basket. It's a little dirty. Okay, talk to me about the naysayers, um, whether it was about raising your children or just not having, I don't know, the home with the picket fence or this is just a way of looking at life in a completely radically different lens. And and I think all of us need to take a moment with ourselves and really ask ourselves, you know, how do we define success? You know, and whose voice is that as we define success and really getting very granular um, to, to how we want to feel um, when we have that success or even how to identify when we've had that success. So for you, when you decided to go, you know, hit the road and, and the 10 years later, were there people in your life who were sort of taken aback by this? Um, or just what were all the reasons to not do it that you heard? Um, yeah, well, obviously there were a lot of naysayers. There probably continue to be, but they've learned that they aren't going to get a lot of traction with me. So they save it. <laughs> um, but early on, of course, you know, we, we heard everything from, we were irresponsible parents because we weren't, uh, saving adequately for their educations. And for the record, we pay for their educations out of pocket and our kids will graduate with no debt. So we took care of that. Um, we were given a hard time over their, you know, their socialization, which is everyone's favorite drum to beat with anyone who does any form of alternative education. Uh, one of my adult sons was hired specifically because of his social skills 10 years later, which was kind of funny. Um, we were given a lot of, of stress over the fact that they didn't attend school. Therefore, what kind of education would they have? Um, there are you know, there are people that just think that any form of family that is not based around owning a home and circulating between school, church, and Walmart and home um, is destabilizing for young people. And you know, my challenge to that is that, you know, for, for an emotionally healthy person, relationship isn't based on proximity. It should be based on the trust and on the currency of, that you have within those relationships. And so, you know, we put all of our eggs as a family in the basket of building those relationships intentionally and making memories instead of accruing things. Um, and it's been really fun to watch our kids go, you know, our, our youngest one is, is probably the most hilarious example because he was five when we took off. So he doesn't really remember living in New Hampshire in a real house with two cars and, and all of those sorts of things. His entire memory bank is, you know, pick a country. Um, and I, I used to laugh and tell people that perhaps the biggest social deficit, the biggest issue we had when he was like nine, 10, 11 was that he really thought that his peer group were 24 year old backpackers and he would belly up to the hostel bar with his, you know, chocolate milk while they had who knows what and swap stories with them about this. And the other thing, and he was totally fine with that. And of course they thought he was hilarious, but he didn't get the joke. Well, it all comes out in the wash, you know, now he's, he's uh, 16 and travels lots by himself and is learning to fly airplanes. And, you know, he does, he does all the things and, and, and also has loads of friends to go to public school um, and gets on fine in those groups too. So, you know, I don't know. I think people worry too much about whether or not, their kids are going to be normal as opposed to whether or not their kids are going to be happy, healthy, productive, 
members of society. And, you know, for the people that have, have periodically criticized whether or not our kids will be normal, they're, they're never people, by the way, those criticisms never come from people who've actually met my children. Um, but when we get what I affectionately refer to as hate mail through things I've written or whatever, um, my response to them is always that, you know, you're, you've got it all wrong. You presuppose that I'm aiming for normal. I'm not aiming for normal at all. What we're aiming for is for our children to live an extraordinary life and to understand the freedom that they have within that to build their life according to their own desires and their own passions. And maybe ultimately those will align with ours, but maybe they won't. And um, my goal is to expose them to as many people and as many things and as many brilliant minds and creative souls as possible um, and then get out of their way so that they can do whatever whatever it is that they're on this planet to do. Can you be my mom? <laughs> Sounds so good. Yeah, no, and I think people, I mean, we're scared of the things that we don't know or haven't experienced ourselves. Um, yeah. So it's tough to see, you know, myself in that story as much as I wish, you know. But I didn't have a good high school experience. You know, I, I didn't have a great social experience growing up. A lot of people don't. And that's the thing. They give you a hard time for choosing something else, but we can all acknowledge the, the very giant so shortcomings, um, both in terms of the intellectual education as well as the quality of the social experience in traditional education. And my degree originally was in education, so I'm a teacher, and I that's where I, that's where I started. But just for fun, you know, for your readers or your listeners, um, my kids now are 22, 20, 18, 16. So the, the 22 year old is finishing up a degree in geography at Queens university. She started her own business when she was 15. So that by the time she was 18 and moved out, she'd be able to support herself fully. And she's been doing that. So her degree is not something that's going to, you know, necessarily provide her, her income. It's something that she's interested in, but she's already entrepreneurial in that way. Um, my 20 year old is well on his way to captaining large vessels. He wants to be, um, a captain of tall ships among other things. So he's been working on big boats for a couple of years now, uh, very different sort of educational path for him, but it's a lot of fun to watch him, you know, do that as uh, as a life. Uh, my 18-year-old wants to be a chef, and he's taking off on a gap year this fall, which is hilarious since he had a gap childhood. Um, but he's stru structuring that around, you know, around his goals to be a chef, uh, and he'll get some experience in the hospitality industry this year. And my 16-year-old is learning simultaneously to drive cars and fly planes. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what people define as success, but for me, I'm super happy with who they are and what they're doing. And it doesn't bother me even a little that they, that they don't look like the, the outcomes that you get out of a traditional path. Cause that's not what we were aiming for. You must get this question a lot and it's hard. It's sort of an unfair question, but any favorite places or maybe not places, but <laughs> any favorite memories or experiences that you'd want to share? Gosh, we have so many. That was entirely the point of us taking off with them for 10 years. Uh, if you asked everyone in my family, you'd get different answers as to favorite places. We've spent several winters um, in Guatemala, which we love a lot. There's a lake there that we spend quite a bit of time on. We're invested in the community there. Um, my 18 year old, when he was 15, went back for a month by himself. That was his first big solo trip. He flew down to Guatemala to work with an NGO there that, that he had supported, uh, when we'd lived there earlier. So that was a neat thing to watch him, you know, take ownership in that part of the world and, and, uh, raise his own money and spend his own time to do something like that. Um, my husband took the boys last year and sailed to the Bahamas and back from our house in Canada. That was a 10-month adventure that, that they had been waiting to do because my daughter is not interested in sailboat-type trips. 
<laughs> she doesn't like she doesn't like big water. She doesn't like to be offshore. So we didn't do that as a family. Um, but he took the boys and did that sort of as their their man adventure. They were gone for ten months, and you know it, it's now the thing that they talk about all the time. Uh, and you know for us that was the essence of our the why behind living our lives the way we did is that the thing we most coveted was the relationships with our kids. And it's you know it's nice now to be at a stage where we have those. Um, and to know that our, our plan did work out. I, I said to somebody recently that if I could give myself one gift as a, you know, an early thirties mom with a bunch of little kids feeling like I was going to die on any given Tuesday afternoon, it would be a half an hour with my kidults now, um, mm, just to know mm-hmm. that, that even though we did this really weird thing, it resulted in exactly what I was hoping that it would. So I guess that would be my encouragement to people who are afraid to do something different with their career, with their family, with whatever the thing is, that um, without taking that risk, you'll never know what could have been. But uh, we do have so much more power than we think we do to craft our own paths. Mm, absolutely. Particularly as women. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and are you now, where are you now? And are you, any plans to travel? Or how did you decide, you know, when and where you <laughs> wanted to put down roots for just a bit at least? Um, well, we, we put down roots on Wolf Island in Ontario. It's the largest of the Thousand Islands, about halfway between Toronto and Montreal. Um, it's a lovely place and it's where I was raised. My parents are there and we decided to put our roots down there because we really value the relationship with my parents. We want to facilitate their retirement in a way that pleases them. Um, and we really want to continue on the legacy that my parents have handed us in terms of the property that they have, but also travel and other things. I was almost born in Guatemala, so we got this whole traveling crazy thing from my parents. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, a whole nother, a whole nother story. They're pretty amazing folks and they're definitely worth, um, the effort of putting down roots. Now, whether or not we have settled is a subject of some debate within our family. Uh, the, the boat trip that was 10 months long was just last year. They've been home since last July. Uh, this is a 17 country year for me. So you've been to um, 17 countries in one year. I will be by the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. So tell me what's next for you. What can we, and also do you have your own personal social media blog? You know, we know your work through uh, Tortuga, but how can we find you? Yeah, I do. So I'm Jen Sutherland Miller on Instagram. Um, I'm slash bike mama on Facebook because when Facebook came out, I was dragging my kids around the world on a bicycle. (laughs) Um, those are my two main things. I also, I write on Medium uh, under Jen Sutherland Miller as well. I've written quite a bit about the weird aspects of my life there. And of course we had a blog when the kids were little and when we were traveling that was called edventureproject.com. And that's all still there just as an encouragement to other families who might want to do weird things either with their education or with travel. So um, that can be read through if people are interested, but I haven't posted there in a couple of years. Awesome. Anything else you want our readers to know? Oh God, readers, listeners. Oh my goodness. Editor, <laughs> editor, don't even edit that out. That was just, it's too, it's Friday. Um, <laughs> anything you want our community to know about um, what you've done in your life, sort of the biggest lessons that you've taken away? I know you've already shared a few already, um, but just in mm-hmm. thinking totally outside the box when defining your path, in fact, maybe just not even looking at it as a path uh, and just sort of going curious, are you taking Um, Are you deciding a few months in advance of what you're going to do or sort of working backwards from a larger plan? You know, when does, when does, when does your planning get thrown out the window? Uh, I'm curious, (laughs) curious that if you want to answer that as its own question, but also sort of going beyond from there, just things that you want us to to know from the many countries that you've been. 
uh, and the many years you've been traveling? Um, well, related to planning, I'm, I'm a pretty relentless planner, actually, and, and I always have been. And I, you know, I do have a, a five-year plan for myself. And every year I, I sit down and make a one-year plan for myself. And I, I guess the power of putting those things down on paper, deciding what you're going to do and writing it down, even if it seems madness, um, there is a power in that. And there, there is a, a way in which that helps you to manifest the things that you are wanting to in your life. Um, and every Sunday I sit down and plan the week the same way, which I know sounds kind of boring and ridiculous to people, but for me, it's a process that works. Um, and when to throw that plan out the window with some regularity, I, I think my favorite thing in life is serendipity. Uh, and then a very close second or maybe holding hands with that is people. And, you know, the network of people that I've encountered has been game changing and life changing. And all of the best things that I've learned have come out of serendipity. And, you know, circling back to Tortuga, Fred is an excellent example of that. Uh, my buddy, Sean, had me help facilitate an unconference for a couple of years. And he he intentionally invited people that we didn't really know very much about that weren't related to what we were doing um, to make for an interesting weekend of discussing an unrelated topic. And Fred was just one of the people that was crazy enough to say yes and to show up. And I've worked with him now for four years. Um, this week I'm in Washington state with another one of those people where from another one of those unconferences where Sean said to me, who would you like to have there? And I said, well, this guy, cause he runs this organization I'm interested in. Uh, and he's become one of my dearest friends and best, you know, warriors for good in the world. So I think just paying attention to what's going on and who is around you and, and the strength that they bring to the table and a willingness to learn always and to serve first, I think would be all things that matter to me. I have to ask, I, I hate this question, but just before we close up, I really, I've been trying not to ask it, but I'm going to ask it. Women, in tra <laughs> well, women in traveling, right? This is mm -hmm. thinking about safety and, uh, and just from a very candid place, I've never really wanted to travel by myself for more than mm -hmm. a day. Um, I was in China visiting with somebody and then I took an overnight train to Shanghai mm -hmm. and I spent 24 hours by myself and it was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. but I've realized that there's a sort of block that I have on wanting to go mm -hmm. somewhere for, I don't know, a week or being by myself for an extended period of time. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not asking for free therapy here, but what <laughs> advice or sort of what, what I'm sure you have many thoughts about women and traveling. You've probably been asked this before, um, about how women can look at traveling by themselves or maybe with other women. Um, and safety considerations and, you know, obviously cultures, different places of different cultures. So yeah, what, yeah. Are, what are your thoughts around that? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a very valid concern and it's a real thing. I mean, the real world is that women were vulnerable physically all the time. Um, the question would be, are we more vulnerable when we're traveling than when we're at home? And the statistics would bear out that we're not because primarily the people who harm us are the people we know the best. So I would, I would say that you're, you know, it's much more dangerous situation to spend the weekend with your uncles and your, your brothers or family friends than it is to, you know, be elsewhere. I travel alone a lot on purpose, even though I've got more kids than sense and all these other things that I'm doing, um, because it's just really important for me to cultivate that aloneness and that sense of myself in the world. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I went to, through Italy and Egypt alone for about a month, went down to the border of Sudan and came up the Nile uh, by myself, visiting lots of places. And, you know, I, I pack clothing that's appropriate, but then I also put my burqa in my bag because I didn't know down on the border with Sudan if I would need that. And sometimes it's nice just to be able to pop it on and disappear. Like that's a benefit 
<laughs> to that particular clothing piece. Um, turned out I didn't need it. You know, the, the trip wasn't without incident. The police did steal my car and my driver at one point, which took me half a day to sort out. Um, the winter that my guys were in in their sailing project, I went to Central America, rode chicken buses around Nicaragua, rented a motorcycle and crashed it, did some other stuff. Um, I like to travel alone. I think it's important to travel alone, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that someone who's not comfortable yet do that. I think that there are graduated steps a person can take. Uh, one of the things that I started doing a couple of years ago is taking small trips of younger girls and then of older women separately uh, to on skill building trips to learn how to travel safely as a woman and to learn how to walk through the world. So I've, I've taken a couple of groups of, of moms and of younger girls to Guatemala and done that country the hard way, um, not, you know, not making it easy so that they come away believing that they can do something hard and that they, can, they understand how to keep themselves safer in situations that might be uncomfortable. Um, and I think the other, the other bullet point that's really important to me is that discomfort does not equal danger. Often we're in situations where we are uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that we're actively in danger. It just means that we don't necessarily understand what's going on. So, you know, in terms of our internal talk as women, when we feel threatened, are we actually threatened or is it just that we're uncomfortable in some way because we don't understand the language or the culture or the environment? Um, but yeah, I mean, I could, I could talk for hours about women and travel and skill building and why that's important. <laughs> Maybe another day. Yeah. What have you learned? I know I love how I'm like, and we're going to wrap up, but now, now we're onto <laughs> something here. So when you've traveled by yourself, what do you find to be the biggest benefit to doing that? Well, as a, you know, I've been with my partner for 25 years. We have four children. Anybody who's done any portion of that understands the, the ease at which women completely lose themselves into their family environment because there are so many needs that you're meeting all the time. Add to that taking full responsibility for the educations of four human beings and working part-time. Uh, it's really overwhelming and challenging. So for me, there's a, um, I don't know, a rejuvenation, a restoration that comes from taking time alone to do something. For me, travel is invigorating uh, because your senses are heightened and you learn new things and you experience things and have the opportunity to see the world through different lenses. It, it's a way for me to sort of reset my, my status quo meter, um, my needs versus want meter, uh, just paring everything down to one bag and going for you know, a month, two months, uh, is really important just to my sense of self and finding my place in the world. And then also just thinking through kind of what I want to do next, who I want to be next and what ways in which I might be able to serve the world. Sometimes you don't know that until you go to a place where you find need. Mm -hmm. Any place that you've traveled to that's sort of un underrated or a place that we might not have considered traveling, but we should definitely, you know, get that on our list. Yeah. Um, I love Borneo. I've wanted to go to Borneo since I was young. We spent a month road tripping end to end. Borneo is great and it's, it's hard, but it's worth it. Um, Central Sulawesi in Indonesia is also off the beaten track and hard to get to and kind of a pain in the neck, but um, was really educational and useful. I highly recommend uh, for Americans particularly spend three months, spend a year living in a Muslim country that will sort out so much of the propaganda that we're fed. Um, some of the best things that we did for our kids were, you know, to live in North Africa, to live in, um, Indonesia and in Southern Thailand where 
a lot of the culture is Muslim. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a real disconnect there in North America, and I, I think that one of the ways that we we fix that is through building personal bridges and building ties to places where people are different and think differently than we do. Um, I really liked the Ukraine, which surprised me. I was only there for a few weeks, kind of road tripped back and forth across the country on a bit of a crazy adventure, but that one was really good. Oh my goodness. Um, anything else that you want to let our, let us know? Yeah. I mean, I think in light of the discussion around the wage gap and in the light of the discussion around, you know, lifestyle design and working remotely and, and making enough money, what is enough money? What is success? I think if I had an encouragement for women, it would just be to not be afraid to take control of those things and not be afraid to aim higher. You know, every point at which I have stepped back and said in my, you know, annual planning, like, okay, I'm going to up my income this year by 30%, but not up my effort or my hours by 30%. That seems like a ridiculous thing to say. Like, really? Okay, you're going to do that. But every time I have put that on paper and just determined to do that, uh, I've met and exceeded that goal before I got to the sixth month of the year. So I think that as women, we have a lot more power than we think we do. Um, I would encourage you to not settle, but to seek things that inspire you and to not be afraid to really work hard and, and to get in the room with men who may or may not appreciate your presence, but to, you know, to get things done that are important to you, do what you have to do. Mm, love it. Love it. Thank you, Jen, so much for being part of this. Um, You're most welcome. Yes. And thank you for sharing where we can find you afterwards, since no doubt our community would love to stay in touch with you and follow your adventures. So everybody, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, if you are not yet a member of Ladies Get Paid, shame on you. It's completely free. So go to ladiesgetpaid.com backslash join. Um, so when you do that, you will get our weekly newsletter. Um, so that's when we send out our invitations to events, workshops, webinars. Um, you'll also get access to our online network um, where we have more than 30,000 women from all over the world coming together to share advice. Uh, they share resources, job opportunities. They're selling couches. I don't know. There's <laughs> basically when you put a bunch of women on the space together, amazing magical things happen. So you definitely want to be a part of it. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, this is Claire and you're listening to Lady Talk. Oh! <laughs>